0: Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So we're starting this new series called The Comeback. The Comeback. Now, uh, I love this title because I love comebacks, okay? I was sharing on Sunday, I love sports in general. Football's my main jam, but I just love sports. Um, I grew up watching everything from... Golf and baseball and football. Not so much hockey. Nobody watches hockey, but that's okay. I'm I'm offending people left and right tonight. We're going to talk about forgiveness next week, so make sure you come back. Just kidding. But these are just things that I'm really into. But regardless of what sport it was, SportsCenter was always on in my room growing up and even first few years of marriage. When I wake up, I just put ESPN on and then I just let SportsCenter play. So it could be like three hours in a row and I already saw every story, but it's just, well, what else is supposed to be on TV? SportsCenter is supposed to be on the TV. SportsCenter would do these specials all the time, these documentaries where it would show comeback stories. And, and sometimes it was somebody who was hurt. Sometimes it was somebody who had some physical challenges that they were able to overcome. Sometimes it was about a, a small town school that, that made it and won the state championship, whatever. But there were these stories that, you know, it might be 6 a.m. in the morning, and I'm watching this, and I'm ready to go run through a brick wall. I'm like, let's go. I'm so pumped up right now hearing this story. I feel like I could do anything right now. I'm so inspired. There is something about comeback stories that, that grip your heart, that, that hit on something special inside. I don't know, is it just me? Do you guys like comeback stories? There's something amazing. Now, the thing I love about sports is that it's real-life drama. You never know when you could be witnessing one of the greatest comebacks of all times. And so we, uh, we have been so excited about this series because we believe that God has a comeback story for every person in the room. We believe that God is the author and the finisher of our faith, that God is, is the designer of our lives, the designer of our destiny. And we believe that if you allow God to, there is a comeback story that he is writing for you right now. See, comeback stories are, are so amazing, they're so moving, I can get moved by something that's not even real, okay? I love real, true stories, but it doesn't even have to be real. If something's done well, it can be fictional, and I'm just as touched as much as it was real. Movies, I'm a big movie buff, right? We could go down a mile-long list of great comeback movies. Rocky, anybody in here like Rocky? <laughs> Classic. Classic. You know, Rocky II may be one of the only sequels that was like just as good as the first. And the reason why Rocky II was so amazing is that he finally beat Apollo. He lost to Apollo in Rocky One. Like if you're going to see a boxing movie, you would never think at that point that the main guy is actually going to lose in the end, right? Like that doesn't happen. But then Rocky II comes out and he's able to beat Apollo. It's just incredible. Anybody in here um, watch Rudy? We're going real old school. Anybody, any Rudy fans in here? If you've never seen Rudy, it's amazing. It's this, this, this kid who had this heart to play football, and he had this will that was just unbreakable, and he walked on at Notre Dame. He'd always dreamed to play for Notre Dame. He was short. Everyone said he couldn't do it. Everyone said he didn't have the body for it. Physically, it was impossible, and this kid just would not stop. He would not quit, and you just watched this movie, and you are so inspired to never give up on your dreams. How about Remember the Titans? Any you remember the Titans fans in here? So Good. So, so, so good. Remember the times it's just, oh, that's my jam. You, you see, if you've never seen it, where have you been? Um, but you, you see the story of this community that was just completely divided and segregated, that racial tensions had just completely torn this community apart. And you see this football team come together, made up of all these different races, and they unite as one, and they go all the way. And it, is, it has Denzel in it, so you know it's going to be good. It's just incredible amazing, amazing story. What about war movies? Anybody in here, you get inspired by a good comeback story for a war movie where where you're just like, I'm going to go enlist tomorrow morning. As soon as I wake up, as soon as my alarm goes off, my life, what am I doing with my life, right? I can get so moved. You know, Saving Private Ryan is a classic. You see, against all odds, this, this whole platoon of soldiers, they go to rescue one individual because all of his brothers had died and they, they didn't want his mom to lose all of her children. And They go into Germany against all odds. I'm going to spoil the entire movie for you. They all die, but they end up rescuing Private Ryan. It's incredible. If you don't cry in that movie, you have a heart of stone. What's wrong with you? It's incredible. Incredible. The point is this. Everyone has a heart for a comeback story. And so our our hope and our prayer is that over these next couple weeks, whatever season of life that you find yourself in, Maybe you are still fighting. Maybe you gave up fighting. We want you to to know and to understand that you have a God who is at work behind the scenes, that even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, he's not giving up on you. And so don't give up on your story because God is still writing it. So we're going to start tonight. I want you to do this. I want you to repeat this, this phrase, content in my context. I got nervous there. You guys all like didn't do it. I'm like... Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to be content in my context. (laughs) Comeback stories, you guys are like, what is is this? I don't understand what this is. Comeback stories are only as good as their context. The context is what makes the comeback. I'll give you a a really obvious example. I could point somebody out in here to you and say, hey, you see that person over there walking with a little bit of a limp? Isn't that amazing? You could be like, I guess. I could probably walk better than them. And then if I told you the backstory, like, well, did you know that that person two years ago was involved in a car accident, and was paralyzed and told they were never going to walk again? You seeing that person walk with a limp would take on a whole new meaning. Because a comeback is only as good as its context. See, this is the thing about life. We all love comebacks. We all love amazing stories. We're all inspired them. We all want to come back. Just nobody wants to walk through context. I want the ending to the story. I just don't want to walk the journey. I want the promise from God. I just don't want to go through the struggle. I want the provision. I want the success. I want God to use my life to impact so many people. I just don't want all the pain and struggle that goes along with it. I want the comeback. I just don't ever want to walk through the context. We're going to be looking at a a true story tonight from the Bible. Um, This couple named Abraham... And Sarah, if you grew up in church, you, you you sang a song about Abraham having a lot of kids, and we're not going to sing it because it'll get stuck in your head forever, forever. It was the original baby shark song. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but if, if you know the context of Abraham, you know that th- this is a crazy story. See, nobody wants to be a 99-year-old man with a barren wife who's 89 years old still believing that they're going to have kids because God promised them. It's one thing to look at people in the Bible and be like, wow, look at how God used that person and then completely overlook the process, the years, the decade, the pain, the struggle, the strife that those people walked through in order to have that comeback story. You see, the the first step of healing, the first step of growth, the first step of a comeback is making peace with the setback. So, in physical terms, I love sports. Like I said, this, you know, football is my main thing. I love watching football. Almost every football game, someone's getting hurt. And so if you watch the press conference afterwards or, or even the next day, especially, you see these reporters asking these coaches questions. A lot of times, one of the first questions if someone blows out an ACL or ruptures an Achilles is they'll say, where's their head at? How are they? How's the player doing? Where are they at mentally? Because people know that in order for a comeback to begin, you have to have a certain type of perspective. You're either still going to be in a place where this isn't fair. Why did this happen? This didn't happen to so-and-so. I don't understand. I didn't see this coming. Or you can have the perspective to be like, I didn't choose this. I didn't want this. This absolutely stinks. But what could I do from here on here on out? I'm just going to get better. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to come back from this. See, it, it all starts with the person making peace with the setback to begin with. This is the beauty about being a son and daughter of God. You don't have to make peace with your setback. All you have to do is receive God's peace. So when God is the God who facilitates the comeback, you don't need to wear the responsibility to make peace with your own situation, to make peace with your own circumstance. All you got to do is just be obedient enough and pursue it enough to say, God, I need your peace in this setback. I need your peace in this circumstance. Isaiah 26 says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. This is talking about perspective. This is talking about where your thoughts are at, where your mind is at, where your heart is at. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. We got to get to the point where we are content in our context. What do I mean by content? Contentment is a word that we use in church and maybe you're like I don't what what does that mean? Break that down for me. Contentment is this. This is what I'm speaking about tonight. Contentment is pursuing the peace of God in your context. So when we talk about hey, you got to get to the point where you're able to be content with the situation, what I'm speaking about tonight is you pursuing the peace of God, the perfect peace of God in your situation. In your family, in your life, in your setback, in your pain, in your struggle. When I'm talking about contentment, I am not saying that you need to be happy about the setback. I'm not saying that you need to accept the circumstances as, well, I guess this is just the new normal. I guess this is just how it's supposed to be. That's not contentment. Contentment is finding God's peace in your context. And this is what's amazing about God's peace is that God's peace doesn't just settle for what happened. God's peace will always push you to believe in a God who is bigger and stronger and greater than any setback that could ever come against you. So many people, you don't want to get to the point of being content in your context because you feel like if you go there, if you do that, then there'll never be changed. The only way to really align yourself for spiritual growth to align yourself, your soul, and, and your spirit and your perspective in a way that God could do something special is for you to get to the point where you are pursuing the peace of God in your circumstance, in your situation. I want to show you tonight real briefly in the story of Abraham that I believe where things started to get messed up is when Abraham stopped pursuing the peace of God in his context, in his situation. We're going to go through this quick. So if, you go home tonight or, or tomorrow and you want to read up on this story, you can start in Genesis chapter 12 and it's, it's five or six chapters and you can really get the full scope of what we're talking about tonight. But we're going to hit some of the high points. I want to give you the context of this comeback that we see from Abraham. See, many people in here probably know the promise that Abraham received of having descendants like the stars of the sky or the sand in the seashore. But maybe here tonight you don't know the context of this story. You see in Genesis 12 that God gives this man named Abram at the time this word that that he was going to have sons and he was going to be able to pass on his his heritage. The problem was is that Abram at the time was in his 70s and his wife, uh, Sarai, who later we know as Sarah, she was barren. She couldn't have children. And so God gives him this promise to say, no, you're going to have kids. And I'm also asking you to pick up and to move away from your home. I want you to move away from everyone that you know. I want you to move away from everything that's comfortable to a land that I'm calling you to because when I do bless you with kids, they're going to be in the promised land that I have for them. I mean, this guy's in his 70s at this point. Now, there are times of life when God asks us to do things and it's really hard to be like, did he really say that? I mean, that just kind of sounds crazy. Like, was that God? I mean, put yourself in Abram's shoes for a second. It'd be hard enough to hear, I I would be like, God loves family. God wouldn't call me away from my family. God instituted family. There's no way he would call me. I'd be trying to reason my way out of it. Not only did he say, hey, you need to move away from your family, but he said, the reason is because I'm going to bless you with children. This guy's in his 70s, and his wife is barren. But what's so amazing about Abram is that he has faith in the words of God, He believes God, and so he's obedient. So you start to read how he literally picks up everything and he moves when God asks him to. The problem starts to appear when after he's obedient and does what God asks, you start to see years go by and they're still not having kids. I believe that it was his faith and his trust in God, his contentment to say, God give me peace to do what you asked me to do, that led him to be obedient initially. But as time went on, as he was waiting on God to come through with the second part of the promise, contentment went out the window and you start to see that that he slipped up. I mean, I could imagine that there must have been some frustration on Abram's part when he's like, let me get this straight, God. You said that you were giving me the promise that your people are going to come through my lineage and yet I can't have kids, and I'm seeing everyone around me have kids. How come no other couple needs a miracle to have a baby? I'm the one over here. You're promising me that I'm going to have a son. Everyone else is having kids. They're popping out kids like it's no problem. I'm over here. I did everything that you asked me to do. I uprooted everything. What's going on? I could I could only imagine the frustration and the doubt that began to, to creep into Abram's heart. In Abram's mind. I want you to hear me tonight. You will never experience the peace of God when you try to apply somebody else's comeback to your context. You're never going to have the peace of God. You're never going to be able to be content in the context that God has placed you in for this season if you're constantly trying to take the success of somebody else, take the story of somebody else, and apply it to your life. We, we get into these modes where I, I end up having more admiration for the comeback itself than the God who facilitated it to begin with. I, I fall in love with somebody else's story of overcoming or somebody else's story of success more than the author who wrote the story. Why is it that it's so natural for me That instead of me seeing what God did in somebody else's life and being like, man, if God could do it for them, then I know he could come through for me. Instead of having that attitude so many times, I fall into the trap of saying, God, could you just copy what you did in that person's life and do it to mine? And then I begin to get frustrated and I begin to have a lack of of peace with God when I'm holding him to a standard that I saw happen in somebody else's life. Let me give you a ridiculous illustration real quick. If I were... Able to, to go back in time knowing what I know now, having seen the movies that I've seen now. And as they were making Rocky, I barge onto the set and I go up to the director of the movie. And I'm like, listen, I think this is what you should do. I think Rocky and Apollo need to team up. I think you need to throw a football in there. Someone needs to push the other person, say strong side, weak side. I think you need a sunshine in the movie. You know, you just need to incorporate football. I could imagine the director being like, what are you talking about? This is a boxing movie. Like, yeah, yeah, but listen, I saw the ending. Remember, the Titans gave me goosebumps everywhere. You need to apply this to Rocky. Could you imagine how, like, confused and frustrated the director would be? Like, what are you talking about? Could you imagine if I went onto the set of Rudy and I handed this little guy boxing gloves and I was like, you need to go fight and box every person on this team. And if you lose, you need to go fight him again because I saw in Rocky II that you'll actually win the second time. Anybody in here remember Little Giants? Anybody in mind? Yeah, Little Giants. It's awesome. Could you imagine if if I went onto that set and I was like, you need to dress everyone in military gear, give everybody guns and send them to Normandy and they need to go find Private Ryan and save him, all these kids. That'd be ridiculous. Could you imagine the directors of these movies looking at me like, what are you, you're hijacking everything. That's so silly. But how many times do we look at what God is doing in somebody else or in someplace else, and we try to to hold God hostage to do that exact thing in my life? Instead of me being content and having the peace of God in my context, in my situation, in my family, in my struggle, I just idolize the work that he's done in other people. I glorify the story more than the author. God wants to do something in your life, in your context, in your situation, in your hurt, in your pain. You will never, ever, ever be able to wait on God well until you're able to be content in your context and believe God for a personal comeback. See, God's promises are personal to people's context. God's breakthrough is personal to the things that people have been through. What God does, God's supernatural grace, his his miracles, his power, is personalized to people. You start to see what begins to happen with Abraham is he begins to start to have a lack of the peace of God in his context. You see in Genesis 16 where things start to take a turn. It says, now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Let's just stop right there. Do you ever get so frustrated in a season of life that you begin to blame God for it? The very God that promised to give them breakthrough, she begins to point the finger back at God and blame it all on him. You start to see where she was at, where her perspective was at. She says to her husband, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Maybe you haven't got to the point where you begin to blame God, but maybe you start to feel like you're the interpreter of God. Well, what, I guess what God must have meant, you know, I'm just going to assume that when God said that, what he meant to say was, because when we don't see things happening, when we don't feel things happening, It's not natural to wait. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. So the very guy that the Bible compliments for listening to the voice of God and being obedient to the voice of God, and it was counted as righteousness to him, you now see that he listened to that voice of doubt. He listened to that voice that was beginning to make assumptions of what God must have meant. He listened to the voice that was beginning to to even blame God for some of the, the circumstances. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar from the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. If you, if you go on to read the story, you see that this maidservant ends up having this baby with the name Ishmael. Now, if you read the story, you see that there are consequences to this decision that ripple out throughout history. You see that as as they grew tired of waiting on God and they didn't prioritize being content in their season, in their context, and trusting God at his word because they tried to force the hand of God, there are consequences that just start to play themselves out. You see that the situation gets way worse than it even was when they were just waiting. See, if you don't learn to wait on God, you will always settle for less than God's best for your life. If you don't wait on God, you are always going to come up short of his promises, of his provision. And God's will, I want you to hear me tonight, God's will is just as much about his timing as it is the end result. So many times I picture God's will as just the end game, where I'm supposed to be, what's supposed to end up happening. And, And when I grow sick of waiting, when I think things aren't moving fast enough, I just try to draw the straightest line to the end result. And what I start to think is, well, as long as I end up where I'm supposed to be, then I guess it'll be okay. No, no, no. God's will is just as much to do with his timing as it does the end result. When we rush the timing of God, we step out of the will of God. When we rush the timing of God, we step out of the will of God. See, waiting is just as important to God as winning. The, the journey, the context, is just as important to God as the comeback, as the ending, as the story. You know, we like to, we love the story. We, we, we love the comeback. You know, we like to, to quote scriptures. Man, I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what that means? You can wait. You can wait. Let me prove it to you. Philippians four eleven says, "Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." So when I quote that verse, and all I'm picturing is the end result, me stretching over to get the touchdown or me making the winning catch or whatever it is, me knocking the guy out with the last punch, what Paul is saying in the context of this verse is, I've learned that i got to be content in every circumstance and in every situation, whether it's a good season of life or it's a terrible season of life, I can get through it. I can wait through it. I can trust God through it. I can do all things because Jesus is the one who's strengthening me. Paul says in Romans... Check this out, if you're not convinced already, Paul says in Romans, no, in all these things, all these things are referring to the the previous few verses where he's talking about all the persecution he's been through, all the hardship that he's had to sustain, the beatings he's took. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hear me tonight, sometimes the most super natural thing that you can do in life is to wait. It takes supernatural grace. It takes supernatural peace from God to be able to wait on God. When I wait, I feel like I'm not doing anything. When I wait, I start to feel anxiety and I start to feel like I'm lagging behind and I start to see other people that I feel like are going further than me or past me, faster than me, and I start to, this thing starts to rise up. I got to do something. It's not natural for me to wait. But it's the supernatural grace and peace of God that allows you to wait on him. And sometimes that is the hardest but but best thing that you could ever do is to wait on God. It's to believe that the God who has saved you, who has promised you, who's provided for you will come through. That your story is not over. That it is still being written. That God is faithful to you that he's faithful to do what he said he was going to do. After this baby, Ishmael, is born, it's another 13 years. So you already had the 10 years of of Abram waiting. He messes things up. He listens to his wife, and they concoct this plan, and they have this baby that they weren't supposed to have, and and, and now it's another 13 years after the, the first 10 years, and then God begins to speak to Abram again. And God begins to tell him, I didn't forget my promise, and I'm still going to come through. And you see that God is, is now not just promising Abram something, but he's making a covenant with Abram. He's changing his name to Abraham. And he's saying, you will be the father of many nations. My people will be brought through your lineage. Jesus will be brought through your lineage. There is so much that I am going to do through you. Now, this amazing man of God, Abraham, his reaction in chapter 17, verse 17 is this Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham's response after all this waiting is just this like sarcastic. But you know what? At least he was honest. I have respect for that. At least Abraham wasn't hiding. And God says, yeah, I will. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. Abraham's response is, God, could you just bless Ishmael? The, the blessing that you had in store for this son that you were going to give us, could you just give it to the son that we already have? Which shows that he was still doubting if God could actually do what he said he was going to do. And you know what God's response was? No. Because God's provision is attached to his promise. His promise is attached to his provision, not yours. God wasn't wanting the son that Abraham forced. He was wanting to bless the son that he wanted to give. How many times in life, we, I, I grow tired of waiting and so I'm like, I got to do something. So I just start going in directions. I start making decisions. And then at some point, I kind of realize, yep, I probably screwed stuff up. And so then I just say, God, could you bless this? Could you fix this? Could you? He says to Abraham, no. I am doing something in your life. You need to know that I am the God of the comeback. If I said I was going to bless you with this son, with the wife that's barren, I'm going to bless you with the son through the wife that's barren. Now, as Abraham and God are having this incredible conversation, you read in in Genesis 18. I'm going to have the band come up as we begin to close out. Genesis 18, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Listen to how savage God is. He says, no, but you did. Could you imagine God saying that to you? First of all, we can read that being like, sir, what's wrong with you? It's God. He knows you did. But how many of us, we try to fake God out all the time. Like, God, I don't want that. God, I didn't. No, that's not, that wasn't my heart, God. I love the fact that God is like, no, but you did. You did. And the reason why I love that Like we read in 2 Timothy, if we're faithless, God remains faithful. I love the fact that this couple who have been waiting 20-something years at this point who had done, in the beginning, they were obedient to what God had asked them to do. They kind of faltered halfway through, and they kind of made a huge mess of things. That their response, they, they had the nerve after messing everything up to laugh in God's face. Sarah lies about it, and God acknowledges it. But he doesn't say, well, now that you doubted me, now I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, now that you laughed at me, let's see how funny it is when you don't have kids. God says, no, you did. But I'm true to my word. But I'm the God of the comeback. But I'm faithful to what I said I would do. So even if you stop believing, even if you don't think I can do it, even if you've made a mess of things, I'm going to be faithful. A year later, Sarah was pregnant and gave birth to this son that God gave them. And they named this son Isaac. Could you imagine at 100 years old, walking around with a walker with tennis balls in the bottom, being like, yeah, we're that couple that kept saying that God said he was going to give us a baby. God did. We stopped believing. We tried to do things our own way, but but God did. You see years later when when this little boy is now a young man, this little boy who just symbolized the faithfulness of God, this little boy who was this comeback personified. You see that God tests Abraham again. And, and, And you see that God asked Abraham, I want you to take this son, this son that you waited 20 something years for, this son that you doubted, this son that you laughed in my face about, but but I gave you and you saw and, and now he is going to be the lineage that my people are coming from. And I want you to take that son and I want you to go sacrifice him. Now, again, I'm just being honest with you. I would absolutely reason my way out of being like God would never say that. God bless me with this kid. Why would God ask me to sacrifice this kid? I would talk myself out of it. I'd be so much less concerned with being obedient and I'd be more concerned with just doing what's comfortable and what didn't make me sound crazy. But what's crazy is that this same guy who was doubting God, who laughed in the face of God, all these years later, with the very fulfillment of the promise that he waited for, willingly took his son, to be obedient and was about to sacrifice him until an angel of the Lord told him to stop. He had the knife raised and everything. He was ready to kill his son. And he said, no, no, no. I just wanted to see if you'd be obedient. You see that Abraham passes this test. Now, when you know what this kid represented, you understand what he was willing to give up. You understand what he was willing to lay down. You understand what Abraham was willing to sacrifice because God had asked him to. It's like, man, how does this guy get to that point? This guy that we just read about through all of this, how does he get to the point where then he's willing to kill the very thing that he waited so long for and God blessed him with? Well, you see in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that faith operated powerfully in Abraham. For when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promise of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. Foreshadowing? I think so. For God had promised through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. Some translations say it this way, that Abraham believed in the power of the resurrection. Do you know what that means, a.k.a.? My translation, Abraham believed in the God of the comeback. It all came full circle. Through all of that hardship, through all the waiting through all the trials, through all the struggle, through all the disappointment, all those years, all the, all the years that they spent seeing everybody else have kids and seeing every, every other family blessed, it all came full circle. And it was him understanding and knowing that, man, the God who I've given my life to is the God of the comeback. And so if God is asking me to give up my son, well, guess what? I believe he'll bring him back to life. Abraham was resolute. Abraham was content to say, God, whatever the context, whatever you're asking me to do, even if it's something as crazy as this, I'll do it because you're the God of the comeback. I don't know what situation you find yourself in tonight. I, I don't know what, season of life you're in. I don't know what your, your circumstances are. I don't know what's weighing on your heart. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and, and you've just given up hope. You, you've just accepted everything that's been happening around you in this chaos maybe that's been happening for years. This is just how my life is going to pan out, I guess. I want you to be encouraged tonight that the God who began your life, the God who formed you in your mother's womb has never given up on you Even if you've lost faith in him, he's never lost faith in you. That he's the author and he's the finisher. And if you can submit to him, if you can be obedient to him, if you can trust him, if you can just surrender to him, that he is writing your comeback story as we speak. That if you can just begin to pursue the peace of God in your context in that broken relationship in that, that disappointment and that hurt and that pain and that tragedy and that chaos and that stress and that depression. If you can just trust in God, if you can pursue his peace, that will then empower you through supernatural grace to wait on God to trust in God, to say, you know what? I'm not accepting these circumstances, but I am accepting and believing in a God who's way bigger than my circumstances. So it doesn't matter what I'm facing right now, and it doesn't matter how long I've been facing it, and it doesn't matter if I could even see an end in sight. I've given my life to the God who is above all, who is bigger than all. And so as long as I pursue his peace, I'm gonna wait on him and believe for a breakthrough. I'm gonna believe for a comeback. I wanna invite you to stand up tonight as we close out. We're gonna just end with a, a couple minutes of worship and we have a prayer team that's gonna be standing along the back right now and if you're here tonight and, and you could just use some prayer, you could use some encouragement. Maybe it's something we talked about tonight. It may have nothing to do with what we talked about tonight. Either way, we just got a group of people that love to encourage you, that love to listen to you, that would love to, to pray for you. So if you're here tonight and you could use that as soon as we start this song, I wanna invite you just to, to make your way back and, and they would love to, to pray with you. For everyone else in here tonight, whether you're on a mountaintop or you're in a valley, it is so vital and it's so important to always pursue the peace of God because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You, you don't know what the rest of this week holds. And I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm being a realist. Jesus himself was a realist. Jesus says, guess what? You're going to have trouble. Nobody's exempt from trouble in this world. And, and, and if you just believe in a God who gives you the fuzzies and the, and the goosebumps whenever, when life is going good, I pray for you when life takes a turn for the worse. Because God is so much, so much, so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. You know, it wasn't until the disciples were in a boat with the storm big enough that they all were convinced they were going to die, that they finally acknowledged Jesus as the Lord. My hope and prayer for you tonight is that you come to the realization that we serve a God who is in every season of life, that when you can feel him, he's there. When you can't, he's there. When you can see him, he's there. When you can't, he's there. When you feel blessed, when you feel forgotten, he's there. That he is faithful to you. I want to invite you, if you're here tonight and you just say, man, I just need peace. I I need help waiting. I need strength. I need grace for the season that I'm in. I want to invite you just to raise your hands. I want to pray for you tonight. And we're going to go into a song. And I pray that you just feel the Holy Spirit supernaturally encourage you tonight jesus we thank you for what you did god we thank you for the comeback story of humanity that you came to earth willingly that you gave your life for everything that i've done for every mistake that i've made lord i thank you that you gave me a way out that you gave me a doorway into eternity to have eternal salvation lord we thank you for that god we thank you for your holy spirit that lives inside of us the same spirit that raised jesus back to life the spirit of the comeback i thank you lives in every single one of us God, we pray for every individual in here tonight that has been tempted to give up, that has been tempted to lose hope, that has been tempted to just lose faith. God, we pray supernaturally tonight that you would breathe life into every single person. Lord, the person who's grown weary in waiting. God, I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would show us that waiting is just as much a part of your will because you want to grow us and mature us into who you've called us to be. God, I thank you that life does not determine my destiny, but I serve a God of the comeback. God, we lift our hands tonight and we remind ourselves of how good and how great and how faithful you are. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www dot the harbor li dot com backslash next step